This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The cost for garbage and recycling services is baked into taxpayer bills in most Connecticut towns. However you pay, prepare to pay more. These costs are expected to increase because a regional trash to energy plant that accepted garbage from a lot of towns is closing next year. And trucking all that garbage to out-of-state landfills is expensive. Today where we live, we get an update on Connecticut's so-called silent waste crisis. There are other solutions besides wheeling your trash to the curb. Coming up, we hear how the city of Middletown and others are working to educate residents about options like composting to keep costs from rising. First, joining us on Zoom is Katie Dykes, Commissioner of the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Commissioner Dykes, welcome back to the show. Well, good morning. Great to be with you. Listeners can join us as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Now, Commissioner, we talked to you in December of 2020 about what you call the silent waste crisis, and there's still a crisis. So where are we in terms of finding a fix when we think about the cost that cities and towns are going to be seeing rise in the next uh, a few um, years? Well, Lucy, we still are facing a waste crisis, a waste disposal crisis. But the good news is that we have a lot more tools to tackle this crisis than we did uh, six months ago, <clears throat> in part because uh, the legislature actually put a lot of focus into um, addressing this challenge. Uh, and uh, we have seen uh, improvements to the bottle bill uh, move forward, um, as well as uh, uh, some really critical funding that for the first time DEEP is able to provide for municipalities and others uh, that want to implement and scale up programs to uh, help tackle this crisis, whether it's adopting unit-based pricing programs um, or uh, implementing food scrap collection. So we're really excited about these tools that are a result of uh, the governor's budget getting enacted this year with critical funding for, for these initiatives. So you meant a unit, you said unit-based pricing, so that's pay as you throw? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So right now, I think, as you mentioned, that the cost of, of waste disposal is really embedded um, in your local tax bill of most municipalities. And it's charged to you as a sort of a fixed fee, a flat uh, cost. Unit-based pricing programs are called or, or otherwise called uh, pay-as-you-throw programs um, charge citizens for waste disposal based on the amount that they actually throw away rather than uh, embedding it in, in taxes. And so we've seen that in, in municipalities that have adopted these types of programs, they've achieved enormous reductions in the amount of waste that's thrown away, up to 40% in some municipalities. And we have two municipalities here in Connecticut that have been implementing pay-as-you-throw programs for many years uh, that are a real testament to the, the savings that can be achieved. You said there are two, so what's the, the hang-up? Why, why is pay-as-you-throw not something adopted in other municipalities? Well, sure, well, you know, this is something that uh, requires a, a conversation uh, with uh, residents to talk about what, what, what challenges we are facing, uh, the, the cost of uh, waste disposal is increasing pretty significantly uh, in recent years, as well with the potential closure of the Mira Waste Energy Facility. 
in, in the, for the next foreseeable future, we're going to see many municipalities relying on uh, trucking waste out of state to, to landfills um, in the Midwest and, and elsewhere in the Northeast to address our waste disposal crisis. And that's going to mean more significant costs as well as uh, it's not the most <laughs> environmentally preferable option. So with that, if local leaders don't take action, they're gonna have some tough choices um, either increasing taxes or having to uh, reduce funding for other things like education and other critical uh, services and programs in order to pay for these rising uh, costs of waste disposal. So that means um, there's a critical need to engage citizens on really cost-effective and successful measures uh, that they can be part of to help reduce uh, the cost of waste disposal and, and get us on a more environmentally sustainable track for the state. Um, so we are, you know, we heard from a lot of municipalities that they're very interested in unit-based pricing programs and food scrap collection programs, but they need help with getting started. And so that's uh, last week, DEEP announced $5 million in grant funding that's going to be available to municipalities to help them with the startup costs of getting these programs off the ground. That can mean funding uh, um, education uh, campaigns to engage citizens and help explain uh, the need for these types of programs and the benefits that they can provide. Um, it can include uh, covering some of the, the costs of these of implementing the programs at the beginning, whether it's um, funding uh, the cost of uh, carts and, and bins for food scrap collection or helping to subsidize some of the transportation costs associated um, or paying for uh, free bags for uh, residents who are getting started in a unit-based pricing program. These are all things that can kind of ease us into uh, getting used to these programs and help to make them really successful. You're hearing Katie Dykes, Commissioner of the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection here on Where We Live, as we talk about uh, how the state and other municipalities are looking to address this so-called uh, waste crisis, waste disposal crisis, as uh, uh, many towns relied on a trash to energy plant uh, to send their garbage to that's closing next year, and the cost to truck it out, as the commissioner mentioned, is expensive to out-of-state landfills. Um, we mentioned a food collection a couple of times now. So when we think about this $5 million uh, grant program uh, to help municipalities start, um, whether it's uh, unit-based or pay-as-you-throw or looking at food collection. So can you talk more about that? Because $5 million sounds like a lot of money, but then you're talking about all these different towns and cities that might be interested. And so what exactly will it pay for? And I understand it's a one-time allocation right now. Right. So in other states like Massachusetts, they have established grant programs that can provide for, you know, this level of funding every year for municipalities. Um, this is the first time that we have this level of funding to support municipalities that want to adopt these types of sustainable uh, programs. Um, I, you know, I'm really eager to see the, the response that we get to this program. Uh, we're looking for applications by October 29th. And already we've gotten a lot of great feedback from municipalities that they're, they're going to be uh, submitting applications and getting engaged. The reason is that we know um, that food scrap collection programs and unit-based pricing can be so effective. We see about 35% of what we're throwing away in our garbage bins is organic material. Most of that is food scraps and also yard waste that can be more cost-effectively uh, uh, disposed of and, and, and managed and converted into compost and uh, renewable and clean energy um, if it's sent to a compost facility or to an anaerobic digester, for example. Um, so this is a hugely valuable resource 
that we're treating like trash and throwing away. It's also heavy and wet and it makes your garbage smell. So if we can divert that uh, material um, through um, engaging residents in uh, participating in food scrap collection programs, so um, having it collected separately from our garbage, or even there are uh, innovative approaches where you can um, uh, c collect the food scraps in a different colored bag and put it in your trash bin and have it sorted out um, at a transfer uh, facility. There are lots of different options for how to uh, segregate this uh, valuable material and get it out of our, our uh, garbage. Uh, and that's a big money saver, will be a big money saver for municipalities. But it starts with getting people engaged, right? You need to uh, get residents um, uh, to understand what this opportunity is, um, help them understand how to participate in a composting program, uh, make sure that there's no contamination, <laughs> that you're putting uh, only food scraps and yard waste in this uh, separate stream, and then get that critical mass of residents participating um, so that it uh, will be cost effective to send a truck around and, and collect this material. Those are all the components of, of the startup phase of a successful food scrap collection program. And that's what we are looking to support municipalities um, in doing through this grant program. It also seems pretty common sense if people uh, learn to separate out and to compost. And again, we'll be talking about that coming up here on Where We Live. If you have questions about composting, uh, we'll have some guests that can help answer those. But in terms of uh, you know, encouraging uh, residents to take more personal responsibility for what they're throwing out and uh, what they can recycle versus uh, trying to adopt this pay-as-your-throw commissioner, what's your take on that? I think when, you know, most people, when you take your garbage out to the curb each week, you just may not have any sense at all of this crisis that's going on. But people are actually, you know, very interested in helping to reduce their waste. I think there's, you've seen an explosion in interest in uh, sustainable products and, and addressing, uh, reducing our consumption of things like plastics. Um, here, in, uh, two years ago, uh, Connecticut adopted um, a fee and now a ban on um, on plastic bags, right? Uh, that generated a lot of, of interest. Uh, we saw that uh, people switched their behaviors very quickly after that 10 cent fee went into place. We saw um, a, a, almost 90% of, of folks were choosing to switch to uh, reusable bags instead of paying the fee. And so that I think opened our eyes that once you engage people in these solutions, um, and send that signal to the public that, look, there's a better way to do this. Um, people can change their behaviors pretty quickly. And I think we heard a lot of positive feedback um, from folks that they were appreciative of, of being able to see their communities um, improved uh, as a result of these types of programs. So I think in this, in this instance, we have amazing municipal leaders out there who are innovating and engaging their residents on uh, more sustainable options, both economically and environmentally. And these dollars are really going to act as incentives to help um, be at the elbow of those municipal leaders, provide them the support that they need um, to help get their ideas and their programs off the ground. There's, we have um, lots of different ways uh, that we can achieve our goals. Um, it may be different in one community to another, uh, but collectively in, in the aggregate, all of these different steps that municipalities take are going to help us um, reduce the amount of trash that we're sending for disposal every year. And that's what's going to get us on track um, to address this waste disposal crisis. 
You've mentioned a few times um, the role of municipalities coming up with solutions, but what more can the state do and to make this an, an easier uh, process? Because thinking about a town by town approach, uh, you know, it doesn't always make a lot of sense. So regionally, uh, you know, helping uh, municipalities uh, uh, think about this, or even with permitting, you mentioned anaerobic digester earlier. Explain what that is and the state's role in getting more of these facilities online. Right. So we, when we did an analysis of the uh, of, of what it takes to help food scrap collection programs get off the ground, um, it became really clear that it's much cheaper to uh, tip a ton of organic material at an anaerobic digester than it is to send it to a waste energy facility to be incinerated. Uh, but a lot of the cost um, of getting these programs, you know, started is in the transportation cost, right? Uh, so, Lucy, voluntary food scrap collection programs usually start off small and you have to increase participation over time to get that critical mass um, to achieve those savings. We are going to be working with municipalities all across the state um, to not only support uh, with this grant funding, you know, education and outreach and uh, other uh, uh, tools that municipalities need to help engage their residents. Um, we can support the cost of um, the collection um, uh, bins for organics programs. We can also help to offset the costs of transportation for the beginning of, uh, of a voluntary program while you get that critical mass of residents participating. But there are other really important things that DEEP is doing and the state is doing as well. Um, helping municipalities and businesses build out the infrastructure um, to collect this material is critical. We have a number of different towns all across the state that um, have been successful in uh, getting permits and demonstration uh, authorizations from DEEP to establish uh, food waste satellite uh, drop-off locations, um, as well as to um, establish uh, leaf compost operations at their transfer stations. Um, these are really critical examples of, of the kinds of infrastructure that you need to collect this organic material and ultimately get it to an anaerobic digester or a compost facility um, in a low cost manner. And of course, deep, uh, the state has a great history of investing um, in anaerobic digesters. We have a commercial one uh, operating in Southington. Uh, I know there are many developers out there that are interested in uh, bringing new anaerobic digestion uh, projects forward, whether they're on farms um, or commercial facilities. And the key, of course, Lucy, is they need to have the assurance that the food scraps and the organic material will be there. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Um, we have uh, great tools to help support the development of this, uh, this infrastructure, but we need to also invest in making sure that, that those organic materials are getting separated and are gonna be available to be sent to this infrastructure. And that's where this $5 million in grant funding is going to be so impactful. You mentioned chicken and eggs, so what should come first, whether it's implementing <laughs> unit-based pricing or getting the food out of the waste stream, uh, more uh, people uh, getting it, the, taking the food waste and separating it could help get some of these uh, digesters and other facilities online because they, you know, they have, uh, they have the supply uh, to, to keep operating. Is that the, is that the question? Yeah, so it, the answer is really we need to do all of these at once. Uh, but I think you've, you've raised a really important point that unit-based unit pricing uh, or pay-as-you-throw programs are a, a really natural and effective complement to food scrap collection programs. Um, so, for example, in some municipalities that have um, 
you know, been leaders in trying to establish pay-as-you-throw programs. Um, they've heard from their residents that they'd be more comfortable shifting to pay-as-you-throw if they had the had a food scrap collection program so that they knew that they could divert their food scraps, uh, you know, uh, out of their, you know, out of their uh, trash and therefore they wouldn't have to pay as much for their trash, uh, the volume of trash that they're, they're um, disposing of. Um, at the same time, we know that when uh, in communities that have food scrap collection programs, implementing pay-as-you-throw uh, along with it will will send that signal and incent more residents to participate um, in the food scrap collection program. So it makes the food scrap collection program more effective. So these are two programs that actually are natural complements to one another. And I've been really encouraged to hear from uh, some municipal leaders that see that how they, they complement each other and are really interested in launching these programs um, in parallel. We think that's really the best practice and will provide the most value and savings for taxpayers, uh, for residents uh, in the long term. Isn't the clock ticking? I mentioned at the top of the hour, this trash to energy plant expected to close in, in 2022. That's not too far off. And so what do you need to see happen in the next uh, six months, Commissioner? You bet. We are working urgently uh, to get all of the tools and programs in place that we can to help minimize the amount of wet waste that's uh, sent for disposal. I'll, I'll say that in the, you know, in the near term, um, the waste that's been going to the Mira facility we anticipate is going to be uh, uh, sent to landfills out of state primarily. Um, the trash will find a place to go, but the question is at what price, at what cost? And municipalities have already seen their waste disposal costs increase over time because these waste energy facilities, uh, the aging facilities in our state are becoming more costly to operate. So the price pressure is already there um, those those are adding up to difficult choices for local officials um, to you know figure out how they're going to pay for these increasing uh, costs. And I think that's the reason that we've seen so many municipalities um, reaching out to us at Deep, talking to their legislators, eager to try out some of these new programs that will deliver better value both economically and environmentally for their citizens. You've been hearing Katie Dykes here on Where We Live, Commissioner of the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Thank you for your time. So next time we chat, you think we'll still be talking about this waste crisis, Commissioner? I think we'll have some really great uh, examples of municipalities that are launching these programs. And I encourage everyone who's listening today, if you're interested in being part of the solution, you know, reach out to your uh, municipal leaders, um, let them know about this program, get them engaged. I think, you know, we know that municipalities have a lot going on. Sometimes they're short staffed and there are a lot of community volunteers and community leaders uh, that have been stepping up and getting involved and supporting their municipal officials and getting these programs started. And that's, I think, been a real recipe for success. All right, Commissioner Dykes, thanks for your time. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from two municipalities uh, who have plans to uh, apply for food scrap collection programs through this new state grant. And what questions do you have about composting? Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at Where We Live.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, Director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygen it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard the state of Connecticut has a grant program to help municipalities find sustainable options to manage waste. It's needed because garbage and recycling costs are slated to keep going up. And we wanted to hear how local cities and towns are managing food waste and what this grant program could mean for them. Joining us now on Zoom is Kim O'Rourke. She's the recycling coordinator in Middletown. And that city has a new partnership with Blue Earth Compost helping to divert food waste from larger organizations and businesses. Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you've been for a long time pushing for food scrap collection and composting options. We heard Commissioner Dykes say about 40% of what people throw out is organic, like food scraps and yard materials. And so what's happening in Middletown? So we are, uh, we have been thinking about food waste for a long time. Um, municipalities are um, under a state uh, goal of diverting 60% of their waste by 2024. And that's really right around the corner. It used to be a long time away, but now it's right here. And food waste, as the commissioner said, is uh, or organics is 35% of our waste stream. Um, food waste is is huge and it is a resource. It, it can be used for something uh, pro- profitable, something good for the environment. So we have been thinking about it in Middletown for some time and uh, we are doing uh, several different programs to try to get the food waste out of the regular trash. And one of the most recent ones is we're working with Blue Earth Compost to collect food waste from restaurants in our sanitation district. So we're very excited to be starting that with several restaurants in our uh, downtown area. And so when you mentioned uh, starting this with uh, larger businesses and restaurants, uh, talk about that um, and, and why not uh, when city residents are interested in, uh, in getting involved? I mean, how do you, uh, you know, get more people interested beyond uh, businesses? So oh, we also have a, um, a we also have programs for residents as well. I think every community has to look at their dynamic and how their system works. And in Middletown, we have a uh, sanitation district that is serviced by the city. And so it's city crews that pick up the waste there. And the restaurants generate more waste than a typical household. Although, you know, you certainly want households involved, but for us, it worked within our system to, and actually saved money to, 
focus on the restaurants first, with a collection anyway, with with a going in door to door collecting food waste. So that's why the focus was there. We also have um, two drop-offs, uh, actually three drop-offs for food waste for residents. So we have a program where they have to make a commitment that they're either going to compost in their backyard or they're going to separate their food waste and bring it to one of our drop-offs and then they can get some collection containers and then use our drop-offs. And we have one at the transfer station, one in the south end of town, and then we've been collecting it weekly at the farmer's market, which is in the middle of town. So um, that's, it's been nice that they've, uh, those programs have been together because people do, they, they, they are very supportive of this program. They do want a way to separate their food waste. And of course we always want it as simple as possible, but uh, for a municipality, you always have to look at the costs and collecting food waste from residents is expensive. You have to figure because out of the transportation uh, whenever you have to like send out trucks and pick up that's the that's where the cost comes in kim exactly it's a the tip fee for food waste is a lot less um but you do the cost of collecting it it's another truck it's another cart gotta figure out how to do that economically and so when we think about this grant program that the state um has uh, put out how will middletown get involved with that well, Middletown is very interested. We've been uh, uh, hoping for grant money for, <laughs> for many years now. So we're really excited that it's being offered. And uh, right now we are um, brainstorming different ideas of what we want to do and how we want to you know, take the next step. I absolutely agree with the commissioner that unit-based pricing and food waste uh, separation go hand in hand. And a lot of people will just do it, but you really need that financial incentive to get um, everybody to do it, more people to do it. And um, by, by making people think about their waste, what they're throwing away, that does make a difference in, in you know, what they purchase and how long they use things, whether they repair something, it, uh, it, it does make a big difference. Again, we're going to be hearing from Blue Earth Compost in just a few minutes, but we wanted to get another uh, municipality in on this conversation. Uh, Joe DeRisi is calling in from Hamden. He's the Solid Waste and Recycling Coordinator. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so we've, we've learned about this grant program for municipalities. Tell us what, what Hamden's plans are in terms of uh, getting more residents and, and businesses uh, co collecting food scraps to get it out of uh, general garbage. Uh, yes, well, a few things. Uh, uh, one uh, relevant and exciting thing is, as of Friday, uh, 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 Mayor Lang sent off the expression of interest form for the grant program that we're talking about so that we can develop a uh, pilot program for curbside organics collection. And uh, that will... we. The first step is to express interest to get the grant, and then the second uh, part will be um, working out the details of what exactly that pilot program will look like. And we will do that in coordination with uh, Kristen Brown, who's the consultant for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, who has been helping, uh, along with the uh, South Central Regional Council of Governments that has been 
helping us with that. So we'll develop a more detailed plan shortly. But we have submitted that as of Friday. <clears throat> In the meantime... Well, that's, that's good news, yeah, Joe, ahead. but uh, what are the options for local residents um, even before this grant uh, process started? Right. So uh, we sort of knew that this was coming along and that we would have to go to unit-based unit pricing. And uh, one thing that we started ahead of time is to have a drop-off point at our transfer station uh, for food waste. And we are, um, uh, the idea is we, we didn't necessarily expect every resident to run over the transfer station with their food waste, but it's a good way to get the word out that, that food waste collection is going to be the next step uh, in, our, in our trash uh, collection. So we are, we're, we're also, uh, I, I went, to, uh, approached a few businesses and we're getting free pails donated from them. And then we give them out free to residents so they can use them to collect the food waste and to bring it over to the transfer station. We have a container uh, that is uh, uh, supplied by our waste hauler, and the food scraps go to Southington to the uh, anaerobic digester there. So that costs, uh, that's the, the tipping fees is, is half of what it would be if we threw it out. So there's a little bit of cost savings right there, but mostly it's it's getting the word out to people that this is what we're going to be doing next is collecting food scraps. Well, thank you, Joe, uh, for, for calling in to let us know uh, Hamden's plans. Uh, uh, before we hear from Bloom Earth Compost, uh, Kim O'Rourke, who's with us from the city of Middletown. So if somebody is listening, and depending on where they live, what's the best way to, to find out some of these options? Should they go to uh, their town's website first to see, you know, are there some local composting uh, companies that they can reach out to, or what's the first step? They can definitely, they should check in with their town. Um, each town is different and uh, unfortunately our programs are probably all a little different too. So check with your public works department or uh, sometimes it's in your health department um, or you can just go straight to the first selectman or mayor's office and they should be able to direct you as to what your town is doing. Again, uh, you're listening to Where We Live. Uh, Kim O'Rourke is with us uh, from the city of Middletown. Uh, she is the recycling coordinator as we talk about um, food scrap collection and what towns and cities can do to get this out of the waste stream. Uh, we know that uh, Kim had mentioned that Middletown is partnering with uh, Blue Earth Compost. So he is with us right now, Alex Williams, owner and operator at Blue Earth Compost. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Lucy. Thanks for having me. And so when we talk about um, your partnership first with Middletown, and then I just wanted to talk with you broadly about, um, you know, uh, composting uh, businesses and their role in um, tackling this crisis. But but first, uh, talk through uh, what exactly you do and, and how you do it. Yeah, so we're a food scrap collection service. Um, we collect from residents, businesses, and uh, we do an event service as well. Um, so basically, we're here to collect food scraps, get them out of the general waste stream, <clears throat> get them to the facilities that have been talked about today, composters or anaerobic digesters, and just try to get the right thing done with them. When we mentioned anaerobic digester, and that was something that the commissioner had mentioned too, just describe that facility for us and how it works exactly. Yeah, it kind of looks like uh, an industrial sort of factory complex, to be honest with you. Um, they take all the food scraps that we bring them as well as from a bunch of other um, haulers and generators and they kind of make like 
a nasty milkshake to uh, <laughs> you a sort of picture. Um, that uh, mixture is then um, heated up in an anaerobic environment. So without oxygen, that causes a lot of biogas, they call it, um, to be produced. And that gas is what they're able to clean up and then burn to create a renewable energy source from food waste. They're also able to create compost out of the back end of that process as well. So it's kind of like a two-fold recycling process. So when we have these conversations with state officials, I mean, that's a good thing considering the business that you run. But I'm wondering if you can talk about some limitations when we think about Connecticut's uh, food laws and, you know, what's a way to streamline this uh, for residents who are interested or even towns and cities, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a food waste ban on the commercial side uh, for many years now in Connecticut um, that requires really large generators to divert. Um, That ban has become successively more stringent as the years have gone on, but it could certainly be updated further, specifically to uh, capture more styles of generators like restaurants or hospitals, um, retirement facilities, stuff like that. So some edits to that law would certainly help. Um, but honestly, I think it's just about utilizing like the, this grant money that Deep has just allocated um, to start to roll these pilot programs out, get it more out into the public view, show them that these programs can work uh, on a large scale um, and just kind of take it from there. You're also, I believe, running a pilot program in a Brantford neighborhood. Can you talk about that? And then, you know, with the data that you're collecting, can this be something that helps the state solve uh, this crisis that we're facing? Yeah, absolutely. We've been um, at it in Brantford for a couple months now, uh, doing a pilot program in the Short Beach neighborhood. Things have been going really well. Um, We've got about 75 residents enrolled right now, shooting for 100 by the end of this month. Um, so yeah, we've just been collecting food waste from the curb. So much similar to like what a full scale program would look like in a town. Um, we've been getting good participation, good diversion metrics, learning a lot of information about, um, uh, issues like contamination and participation and whatnot, which we can use to grow these programs. So I think it's a good first step for sure to, um, to getting larger scale stuff up and running around the state. Uh, I heard from a listener who wanted to give a big shout out to curbside compost. Uh, They take action to get food scraps out of the waste system, composting 7,000 pounds of food scraps each day. So I'm wondering, Alex, can you talk about the network that's out there of, uh, you know, there's obviously your business, but other um, smaller uh, composting companies that are in communities that are already doing the work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's us in Hartford. Uh, We cover most of the state uh, commercially um, and residentially curbside uh, out in Ridgefield near Danbury is doing a great job in Fairfield County for sure. Um, And then Domingo Medina in New Haven, who I think is going to be on the show later um, has been doing great work for a while um, in the city of New Haven and surrounding communities. So um, there's already sort of proof of concept is what I would say. Um, There's fully functioning uh, businesses that are, doing this work already, um, this push from the state and just a growing interest and necessity to um, expand food scrap diversion, um, I think is the next step. We've already got the building blocks in place. Kim O'Rourke from Middletown, I wanted to go back to you. I mean, it sounds 
it's good to hear that there are uh, local composters to help people who may not have the room or space to compost, but for people who are interested in backyard composting, maybe they have uh, a little bit of space, you know, where do they begin? What are some tips you can give them? <laughs> so yeah, backyard composting is really, I think the funnest way to manage your, uh, your food scraps. If you, if you, if you do have a backyard, and uh, I, I guess the, the first thing you want to do is, uh, I always tell people decide what kind of space you have, what your goals are. Like, are you a gardener? Do you want to get a lot of compost out of it? Or are you doing it for food waste diversion? Or are you doing it just because it's cool? Because that can change a little bit of how you do it and um, how much time and energy you have. Um, we actually are having a backyard composting uh, workshop on Wednesday, and you can, it's virtual, you can sign up through the Middletown um, CT Rec site, and we're going to talk about you know, the types of bins, how to compost, and uh, the browns and greens, because you definitely want to have more brown material, carbon rich material in your bin than the greens, which is the nitrogen rich material. But it's really um, not that, uh, it can be as, as complicated or as simple as you make it. So um, I think you really just need to choose your space, choose your, your the bin that you want, and then uh, make sure you have lots of leaves or carbon material to start with, and then you can add your food scraps from there. And then for people who may have a space to garden when they're backyard composting, so they should be turning that event occasionally. Can you, can you give us a uh, walk us through oh, that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, it does need, so it needs the, the carbon material, the nitrogen material. It needs moisture, so you want to keep it moist, kind of like a run-out sponge to, in order to keep it working. Basically, you have... Um, microorganisms in there that are doing the work and you want to keep them happy and then you want to aerate it so that's where the turning comes in and you can just turn it with a pitchfork or you can have a special aeration tool or you could use the end of a broomstick just to get oxygen throughout the pile so that it doesn't turn anaerobic and um yeah so that's very important uh, alex williams is still with us owner and operator at blue earth or Blue Earth Compost. Uh, before we let you go, Alex, so, you know, we've, we talked a little bit about Massachusetts, and I'm just wondering what other lessons can Connecticut learn for lawmakers who are listening right now in terms of helping uh, local towns and cities and businesses such as yours uh, handle uh, food scrap waste? For sure, yeah. Commissioner Dykes um, mentioned it earlier in the show. Massachusetts has had um, grant money available for quite a while for recycling initiatives, including food scrap diversion, um, they also have a more stringent ban on commercial food waste generators. So I think um, this $5 million grant is a perfect start to that process here in Connecticut. Um, and I think it's, it's going to start to grow the industry here in the state and sort of mirror what they're doing up in Mass, where they have a lot more facilities because there's more waste being pulled out, uh, food scraps being pulled out of the waste stream. So um, funding and uh, making edits to that ban, I think, would be two good lessons to learn from them. Well, Alex Williams, thank you for your time today on Where We Live. We appreciate it. Thanks, Lucy.
Uh, Kim O'Rourke's going to stay with us. She's Middletown's recycling coordinator. And coming up after the break, we're going to hear from a master composter based in New Haven, Domingo Medina. He runs Peels and Wheels. We'll learn about it. And also take your questions, too, if you want to learn more about composting and your role to keep food waste and other organic material out of the garbage stream. That number, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, when Gabby Petito was first reported missing, the public, the media, and the nation followed the search for her. She was laid to rest on Sunday. On the next Where We Live, we talk about missing persons and domestic violence. Why do some capture the attention of the public and others are completely ignored? That conversation tomorrow. Now, we've heard about food waste recycling programs being offered on the municipal level, but there are fixes for the state's food waste or rather waste crisis happening on a much smaller scale. One successful composting business out of New Haven hopes to serve as a model for others in the state. Joining us now on the phone is Domingo Medina, a master composter and the owner and founder of Peels and Wheels out of New Haven. It's a neighborhood pedal powder, pedal powered rather food scrap pickup and composting service. Domingo, welcome to our show. Domingo, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. <laughs> so you're live on the radio now. Thank you for joining us. I mentioned that you're a master composter. So what does that mean exactly? Well, basically, it, it, um, it's a person that's very posting and gets uh, training through programs like the Yukon Master Program, where you learn uh, how to do composting and uh, focus mostly uh, on backyard composting, but you learn the principles that applies whether it be to the backyard composting or to the large-scale operators or what you need to do to allow for this biological process to happen. So you're, again, uh, owner and founder of Peels on Wheels. So how does your business work? And for individuals that are interested in this, uh, you know, you know, c contacting your business or others, you know, how do they begin? Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm considered a community composting uh, service. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to a small-scale decentralized system that I believe I complement uh, any effort that's happening at the municipal level. Um, and the, the uniqueness about what I do is that we see organic uh, uh, residues, organic waste, as an asset for my community. Uh, when I put it into the trash or I put it into, uh, uh, into a municipal system, uh, that organic waste is going to go away, go to an everyday digester, or it's going to go to a large facility elsewhere, and that material won't go back. Uh, the small system allows you to recirculate that material within the economy of my community, and then I can use that resource for, you know, enhancing soils, for urban farms, gardens, for trees, for urban parks, uh, in many, many ways. So uh, I basically serve people that might, might, might not have the time, the means, the interest, or the knowledge to do composting. And they're looking for ways to, they, they want to do composting, uh, but have a, a much of a chance. And so if you cannot do backyard composting, or, or um, you know, can you do it in, in, a, in a community garden? And not can you pay for a service like mine, where we actually pick up 
approached us from your house or from your office or for your small business. Uh, we do it through a system of uh, bikes and trailers, and we bring it to uh, an urban farm in Fairhaven uh, at the back of Phoenix Press that allows us to operate, and we process uh, our compost there. We give compost back to the people that are into the program, and many times we donate also compost uh, to community gardens and urban farms. Um, so, uh, you know, you can contact me through online. It's Peels and Wheels Composting. Uh, and uh, we also provide free advice for people that want to do backyard composting. For us, is you know, is how can we take as a community responsibility of our waste that we produce uh, and uh, um, and enhance our place uh, through composting. Was it difficult to find customers in New Haven? Are people really ready for this, uh, Domingo, and and they want to well, be part of the solution? Very interesting. Uh, this has something that has been developing very slowly over time. It started with friends. It also started with people that were linked to New Haven Farms that now is Gather New Haven. Uh, New Haven Farms have uh, a series of sites. It used to have, uh, you know, now it's under Gather New Haven, but uh, they develop uh, um, like seven sites in Fairhaven uh, gardens and, and, and an urban farm, basically, to produce food for people that have been diagnosed to have pre-diabetes conditions and diabetes. Uh, and the idea, they develop a whole wellness program to educate people about growing food, about nutrition, and about cooking. Um, so when we started this, it was to, um, you know, can we change the script? Instead of buying all this soil and all those foods that are from elsewhere, can we produce it ourselves? Uh, and uh, so we are finding already people that were supporting New Haven Farms uh, to get into the program at that level. And they paid uh, a nominal fee on a, uh, on a monthly basis. And uh, they were, that's the way they were helping the farm uh, also. Uh, we gave a lot of our compost to, 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 to the farm uh, and they will be able to keep up the yields over a year. And I believe because of the input that we're providing. Mm. So we're thinking about the end use. Uh, how can we value this as an asset? Uh, and of course, it has been growing over time is through the word of mouth. Uh, 98% of the people that come with me are women, uh, women that uh, come from California, from Oregon, from San Francisco, from New York City, uh, women that uh, have, have uh, composed before, um, uh, and they know the value of it. And then now the people that into my program recognize that they can't see it any other way. It's hard for them. And many people that leave ask me, can you put me in contact with other composters uh, around that uh, have similar services like yours? Mm -hmm. Composting is a facility like mine that like 180 nationwide and we're under the umbrella of community composting. Um, so, Domingo, so we Domingo, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, a yeah. caller wanted to ask a question. I'm just going to read it to uh, both you and Kim O'Rourke to help answer. Uh, Carrie wanted to know, when composting yard waste, can you expedite the process with any additives, or how do you incorporate more oxygen? Uh, Kim O'Rourke, you're still with us. Do you have a, a short answer for her? So, um, I mean, I guess the more you turn it, then the more you aerate it and the quicker the process will go. But of course you need to add nitrogen as well. Um, so just having carbon material is gonna go slow. So you need to make sure you have that moisture level like a run out sponge. And if you want it to go quicker, you wanna stir it more. Um, I'm not a big fan of ad additives, um, and it, maybe Domingo can give his input on that because he does it on a much larger scale than I do. 
Um, but I've, I've never had to use additives on mine. And I, I feel like if you just use the, if you aerate it more, make sure it's moist and add the correct amounts of carbon and nitrogen, then your process is going to go. And Domingo? Yeah. Well, if you want to optimize it, I mean, you have to remind yourself that this is a biological process. So it depends on the bacteria and the fungi and your other microorganisms that are going to do the work for you. You, as a composter, you create the conditions like uh, Kim just mentioned. You create the, the mixture, the proper mixture of your greens and your, your proper moisture levels need to be there. And then you have to, uh, you know, provide air into the system. If you do this once a week, uh, it's amazing how this can break down very, very quickly. I work with batches on 30 days. In 30 days, I have already uh, material that is uh, good enough to spread uh, as a mulch. Uh, but it will take a little bit longer for that. So you have to be patient that and allow the nature to do its work as long as you have provided the conditions for this to happen. Domingo Medina, a master composter and the founder of Peels and Wheels out of New Haven. This is a neighborhood pedal-powered food scrap pickup and composting service. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Also with us, Kim O'Rourke, who's the Middletown Recycling Coordinator. Lots of exciting things happening in Middletown. We're looking forward to hearing how it all goes with your municipality and so many others when we think about getting food waste out of uh, the garbage uh, stream. Kim, thanks for your time. Thank you. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. On the phones today, Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.